Welcome back to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and I'm joined again this week by Jason. Hello, Jason. Hello, Warren. Uh, gl- glad to be back and really excited for, uh, for this week's episode and next week's, I guess. Yeah, so Jason, Jason and I just finished a conversation with three, uh, three panelists, three guests for, for today's conversation that, uh, that as Jason kind of just alluded to, we are going to break up into to two podcast episodes. And so this will be kind of our topic for, for this week's episode and for next week as we talk about race in the church. And we, we know that there are a lot of conversations going on in our, our country right now around race and, and um, a lot of learning that many of us have to do, a lot of listening that, that a lot of us are, are hopefully doing. And there's, there are just, there's, there's kind of a broad conversation about race and racial injustice and systematic racism and, and all kinds of other conversations. And we wanted to kind of have a, a discussion that that looked at race within the church because as you'll hear me reference in the conversation in just a minute uh, i know it's a it's an important topic for for both uh, jason and me that that we still see a lot of really segregation in american church and and that idea that the kind of the worship hour is one of the most segregated times in american culture is is this um this sort of lasting indictment on on church and on christianity and 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 we we thought one of the first kind of maybe steps in looking at that and 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 pulling pulling back some of the layers of that would be to to invite some people to join us for conversation just about the experience of of being black within American church and American Christianity, and so you're going to hear some stories from that uh, over the course of this podcast. Uh, Jason will will introduce the the three individuals joining us as part of the conversation here in just a minute. Uh, but we just kind of wanted to briefly introduce the topic and, and the conversation before getting into it. And and so I think just as kind of a, a, a word before we begin, I just want to say that, uh, first of all, thank you for, for listening to this and for taking time to um, to hear the perspective of others. And I also want to say that we recognize there may even be parts of the conversation that that make you a little uncomfortable <laughs> or may push kind of uh, the ways that some people may see things or understand things. And, and we, we really get into that more a little bit at the, at the end of what will be next week's episode. But, but I just want to encourage us to, to be okay with that and, and to be willing to sit in some of that tension um, and, and to be willing to, to listen to how others experience the world, uh, how others experience church, how others experience faith, and, and some of the conflicts that, that that presents, especially for people who may have a different skin color uh, than those of us who, who are white and have kind of grown up in, in traditionally and predominantly white churches. Well, and, and I, I just want to say that, that it's also a matter of recognizing that if we are comfortable with this topic, if we are not forced to be challenged in some way, that probably means that something is wrong, that, we, that we've become complacent. And so as, as people listen to this episode, if it provokes feelings of discomfort, that probably is a good thing 
because you're being challenged. It's probably a good thing. Nothing, you know, Jesus warns us and Paul warns us that the responsibility of being a Christian is not a responsibility of comfort. That we have to be willing to dig into our dark selves, you know, metaphorically speaking. We have to be willing to dig into the parts of ourselves that we may not even realize are there, but those parts that need to be confronted, that need to be brought to light, that we need to repent of. And as one of our guests, uh, Chris, talks about, um, you know, that, that it's not so much the overt, you know, obvious racism that can be so insidious. It's the racism of complacency. It's the racism of inaction. And that's what that's what we're hoping that this podcast, a uh, couple of podcasts can do. And so as I would encourage every listener that as you're, um, as you're listening to these episodes to evaluate how you are responding to this uh, emotionally. Um, do you find yourself getting defensive? Do you find yourself um, wanting to speak out and reject the perspectives or say that it's just the exception. And if so, then I think that might be an indication that, um, that, that there is some more reflection and some work on the self to be done. Um, I know that I've had to challenge myself to that at times, uh, in my past. And, um, I think that as Christians, we are called to, uh, repent not just of the acts uh, or the sins of commission, but also the sins of omission. Those things where we don't act or we don't speak out when we should. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we probably, uh, many of us probably have uh, some probably light bulb moments or, or, or kind of uh, parts along our journey, our path where, where we maybe realized uh, everyone doesn't experience the world the way I do, <laughs> uh, where, where some of the, the realities of, of the, the existence and prevalence of, of, of racism is, is still around and with us. And, and I know one of those for me, even in adulthood was when, uh, I went back to ACU for a conference as, as a minister and, and there was a black professor at, at ACU, Dr. Stephen Moore, who talked about, uh, just some of his experience and and the idea that he, as a college professor, would not drive around Abilene at at night uh, by himself, and and that that just wasn't he he did not feel comfortable doing that, safe doing that. Um, and then there were you know many other black people in the room who said, yeah, you know me neither. That's that's not something I would feel comfortable doing. And and that always kind of that I remember that kind of being one of the first moments as an adult where I was like, oh wait, there there's a different experience that so many people have that, that's different from mine simply based on, on the color of their skin. And, and I still hadn't even really processed that fully, really even until we were getting ready for this conversation. And, and as I was thinking back to kind of just some of my, my journey in, in kind of some of these conversations and, and thought back to that moment, and I remembered in thinking back on it even just this week, that one of the things that I did as a freshman at ACU, as an introverted freshman at ACU who was overwhelmed by all the people around me and the fact that I was now around people all the time, all that type of thing, 
I would oftentimes just get in my car at night and drive around Abilene and almost purposely get lost just to kind of see the town, figure out where things were, figure out how to get back to campus from certain parts of town. And the only thing I was concerned about was making sure I had enough gas in my car. And I would, I would do that. And I would just drive around Abilene, listen to music and be by myself. And, and, and I, I never really even contemplated that that was a privilege that, that not everyone feels safe to be able to do. Um, and I, I was never concerned for my safety. I was never concerned about what would happen to me. My, like I said, my only concern was, would I run out of gas as a broke college kid? <laughs> um, and, and so even thinking through that, again, just, just more fully and processing that, even just getting ready for this conversation this week, I think is our, those can be eye-opening experiences and, 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 and practices for us if we're willing to, to do those things. Um, and so we're just going to go ahead and, and I guess get into the conversation for today. I do want to remind us, uh, I mentioned it, I think it'll be part of the second episode of, of this, but I want to remind those of us who are members at the Vine of part of our prayer of confession that we pray every Sunday uh, that says, we often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Uh, and then we pray, hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. And so it's my hope and prayer that these conversations are a part of us living out that prayer um, and that we are seeking the righteousness of, of God and of his kingdom as we pursue these conversations. And so uh, with that said, we'll go ahead and uh, get into the conversation with, with Chris, Jude, and Tamisha. And Jason will introduce those individuals as, as kind of an introduction to, to our conversation with them. And, and then we'll hear from, from them. Well, with us today, we have uh, three very special guests to help us um, address a very important topic. Um, first of all, we have uh, Chris Daughtry. Chris is the author of a book and founder of the mentoring program entitled From Boys to Gentlemen. Uh, he is a motivational speaker, husband, and father of four boys. Uh, his book uh, is a tool for healing uh, child-parent relationships, and his mentoring program is dedicated to developing life skills for at-risk kids. Uh, our second guest is uh, Dr. Jude Austin. Uh, Dr. Austin is currently assistant professor in the professional counseling program at the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor. He's one of my uh, colleagues there, um, and he is also in private practice as a counselor in Temple, Texas, working with uh, individuals, couples, and families. Uh, his research focuses on finding ways to help counseling students develop uh, therapeutic presence in a session, and he is also the co-author of numerous books about counselor self-care and counselor education. And last but certainly not least is our very own Tamisha Williams. Tamisha, uh, as most people who are listening to, um, to this podcast know, knows is uh, a very faithful member of the Vine Church. Uh, Tamisha has been attending the Vine um, for about two, is it two or three years? That Tamisha, how long have you been attending? Four. The Vine? Four? It'll be four years. It'll be four years. What? Seven. Okay. I know already. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it had been that long. It feels like such a short amount of time. But yeah. Tamisha is a, is a, a very... Uh, active and and supportive member of our congregation and um, 
uh, and we're very thankful to have her and Chris and Jude joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're we're going to jump right into some some conversation then. And and yeah, we're 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 so grateful for the three of y'all for for coming on with us. And as we were kind of saying before we started, uh, we know these conversations. Um, you, you know, especially we're all getting used to Zoom and doing things over the computer and <laughs> the difficulties that that can bring for for having important conversations. And especially if you're you're kind of new to the other people on the call or I know Tamisha's a little a little uncertain just about the the format of doing this online. So thank you for your willingness to jump on here and share some of your story and and um, and and participate in this conversation with us today. Uh, and so we know there are there are many different conversations kind of happening around our culture about race and about uh, relations b- between different groups and, and our history of racism and, and the ways in which uh, systematic racism and structural racism still presents problems in, in our current context and, and all of those different things. Um, but for the purposes of, of our conversation today, we really want to bring kind of that broad conversation to a finer point of, of discussing uh, and, and kind of hearing from you and your stories of, of your experiences within the church and your experiences as black Christians in America and within the American church. And, and we want to do that because I know Jason and I both, both agree with this uh, both agree that the fact that our churches are still largely segregated um, is is really a stinging indictment, I think, of, of Christianity in America. And and so we kind of want to, for, for this space, to kind of be a place to explore some of that. And we wanted to kind of start that by just hearing from the perspective of, of some, uh, some black individuals who have history and story and experience within the American church. And so we know we're not going to get to the bottom of that conversation today, but we kind of see this as a starting point for that. So we're just going to kind of begin by going around the room, and and at least as as you kind of appear on my computer, um, Jude, if if you'll maybe kind of start us off, and if you'd be willing to share just uh, some of your experience as a black Christian in America, and I'm going to leave that intentionally sort of open-ended at the beginning, um, so you can just kind of share what that means to you and, and what you hear when we kind of ask that. And then we'll kind of, we'll ask some, some other questions and get into some other stuff after maybe you each have a, a chance just to kind of answer that initially. But Jude, if you'll start us off with just kind of some of your story, uh, around that. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. You know, I'm excited to be a part of the conversation. And like you said, Warren, I think, yeah, this is probably a good starting point. I don't know if we'll get scrape the bottom of the barrel on uh, this conversation today. Um, but I do hope that, you know, the things that we talk about and the things that we share um, make people have more conversations with each other, you know. And so my experience has been kind of weird, you know, because I grew up uh, Catholic. I went to an all African-American Catholic school um, from the age of pre-K to eighth grade. You know, the first time I was in class with a white student was in high school. Um, and so I went to Catholic church on Friday. And then on Sunday, I played the guitar in my grandpa's Baptist church. And so it was one of those old school black Baptist church, um, you know, missionary Baptist church, morning star, missionary Baptist church with the red carpets and no AC and the kitchen in the back. Um, and the church started at nine and ended at four. Uh, <laughs> it was just like sweaty with fans and hats that made you not see my grandpa. It was like, 
that church, you know. Um, and so when I, I, I didn't start going to a predominantly white church until probably, um, man, when I was in my PhD program, was probably when I went to a predominantly white church. Um, and it's not because of a choice. It was just, it was one of the only options. And so I had a weird experience. Like there was some dissonance where I was able to compare uh, the two experiences, you know, and 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 you were you were in in your doctoral program uh, at University of Wyoming. Is that in Cheyenne? Yeah, in Laramie, Wyoming. Yeah, in Laramie. And so, um, yeah, and so it, it was it was an interesting experience. Not necessarily because I I felt racism or because I felt discrimination. And I think that's probably why it was so uh, challenging. Was because the transition over. Um, you know, my experience in the black church felt uh, welcoming. I felt like I was home, but there is some politics sometimes in the black church that I think um, uh, frustrated me, you know, and even though my grandpa was the pastor of that church, um, it was still those, those politics. And so having him be the pastor, it's almost like I was able to peek behind the red carpet, the red, um, you know, um, um, whatever that's called, you know, uh, to see the workings like behind the church. And so I had a weird relationship where I was able to go and sit and enjoy the sermons, but I was also looking at it like a business as well, like a business perspective. And so I understood that the more people we got, the more money we had, the more we can support the community. So the more charismatic the pastor was, the more people we would get, the more money we would get, the more we can serve the community. And and so sometimes in that experience, um, I saw, you know, uh, people in the black churches that I went to uh, put way too much uh, honor and prestige on the role of being a pastor. Um, and, and the power kind of gets taken advantage. People take advantage of people when they have that power. Um, and so the transition into a more predominantly white church was different in the sense that they were still the same politics, but there was almost this kind of micro invalidation um, that I think I experience in predominantly white churches. And it's subtle. And I think that's the thing that it's like a nuanced form of discrimination. Um, and it's and you can't really put your finger on it, but you see it like, you know, in promos when I'm sitting and church is about to start, you know, they have that five minutes, church is about to start, everybody get your coffee and move into the thing, you know. Um, and then they're showing pictures of like men's meetup and ladies this and you don't really see any people of color on those pictures. And so I think subliminally you think, well, okay, that's not for me then. Okay. Well then that hangout, that men's group is just not for me, you know? And wonder like, why, why don't, why isn't somebody in the leadership saying, Hey, we need to put at least some person of color on the screen up there. And then you look at the leadership team and the leadership team is all white guys bearded, you know, like, having that, you know, coffee with a tight shirt and the high sleeves. Like you have the same kind of prototype and um, and you you feel a little bit invalidated, you know, like, and there's some good things. There's some good things about being in the predominantly white church, you know, is that there's more resources sometimes and it's more things to be engaged in in the community because they have those resources. But yeah, there's sometimes where you're just like, some some things are not for me, and it's almost like a like a macro aggression instead of a microaggression, like an institutional 
kind of subtle thing. And, and I think the worst part is that it's unintentional. You know, it's, it, it hurts more when it's done by well-meaning people, you know? And so, so that's been my experience, like some good, some bad, and some things you kind of just have to sit there and take, you know, and just kind of like, well, I want to be here and I want to, you know, praise. And so I can take the good with the bad. And I think that sacrifices maybe uh, in my experience you know, moving from, uh, from church to church. So yeah. I, I think that that captures it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I want to work our way kind of around the circle here, but just, just kind of to get, get a little more kind of sense of a couple of things. So that predominantly white churches in Wyoming, where did you, where did you grow up when you were kind of in that experience with the black church you were talking about? Where was that at? In Louisiana. I grew up in Louisiana. Um, and so my grandpa's church was in Louisiana. Um, my Catholic so just culturally, Louisiana. going from Louisiana to Wyoming has to present Absolutely. a host of of issues, Absolutely. and churches you, churches a part of that. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it, it wasn't in like my wife is from Maui, and so the church we go to in Maui is Kubalani, um, and it's the same. It's a predominantly white church, and the church I go to here in Temple, um, you know, the Vista is a predominantly white church, and and they all of those predominantly white churches have the same flavor. You know, and it's not the thing is that it's it's and I think that's the thing that's hard is that it's not an intentional kind of thing sometimes. I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it is a micro assault and micro insult, but but for the most part it's like well meaning people who who aren't necessarily aware that we share different realities. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think for those of us who because I've I've always pretty much um, I grew up in I've I've worked in predominantly white churches, and I think yeah one of the unintentional things that we can do is not realize that we're doing church, we're that we're doing white church. Yeah, we just think yeah. we're doing church. Yeah, absolutely. and that 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 everyone is just kind of welcomed and and coming here yeah. without realizing the ways in which we may be unintentionally excluding people or or giving the impression that that certain people, background, cultures, whatever, that this isn't the place for them. Yeah, certain activities is not for you, yeah. It's the subtle racism of assuming that the way the white culture does it is the normal or preferred way to do something. Absolutely. Right. Which is why, Tamisha, when, when you started coming to our church and brought a whole other dynamic to how you worship and to how you express God uh, working within you, Uh, That was, I think, uh, to be honest, I think it's uncomfortable for some people, but I think it's necessary. I think it's important. Tremendously. And I appreciate (laughs) that. I'll be looking on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, Jude, even hearing you say, you know, church went from nine to four. I I can't tell you how much our numbers would drop if we had a couple of Sundays that went from nine to four. (laughs) It was hot. (laughs) Our numbers would would drop quickly. Um, So... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, all right so so we'll kind of work our way around here and 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 so chris i'm curious just how you hear some of that and and what your story is because i know you uh you you were recently on a podcast with with kyle jason's brother where you talked about how you you grew up in abilene went to acu uh and i think are, are in abilene now correct uh so what what about your experience? Can you share some of your experience there in Abilene and, and with, with church and Christianity there in, in your context? Uh, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, 
to be a part of this for the interview. Um, definitely appreciate y'all sharing your platform because it doesn't have to happen. Uh, anytime race is a topic, it's a taboo topic. People are uncomfortable with the idea of talking about structures that have been here since the beginning in the foundation of this country. And when you start looking at those things, they're not always pleasurable, to say the least. Um, and a lot of times, um, I'll give you just a little back history of me. You know, my grandfather was a pastor, so that, that nine to four, he is not lying. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you, some of the best naps I ever had in my life was on a church pew. Uh, I don't care how interested you are, at nine years old, the yeah, combination of, of that heat. Uh, and, and, woo, so, not getting too lost in that, but I, Dr. Jude, <laughs> I hear you. I think uh, we could have a whole conversation about just how the logistics of a nine to four worship service. Like, is there a lunch? Is there a lunch there break are in no there? Logistics. No is there logistics. a lunch break in there? The testimonies, songs. Oh, yeah. There's a lunch break. Uh, very long window. There's a lunch break? Okay. At, at least there's a lunch break. You're going right. to come right back, though. Uh, but just growing up, um, the, the son of a pastor, uh, of course, I got indoctrinated into. The, the black church experience, a lot of the stereotypes that you see are quite factual, um, regardless of, uh, of how they're depicted. Uh, but growing up in Abilene was a very interesting experience because um, one of my first experiences with a white Christian was a person that uh, a lot of people understand there's so many different denominations when it comes to Christianity. So one of my first experience with a white Christian was somebody from the Church of Christ. And they believed that because I was black, I was going to hell. That was their particular position. So they were extra nice, but it was a pity nice of, oh, poor you. you can, you're going to hell. You're damned to hell. You're the mark of Cain. So I'm sitting back. Was that was that directly said to you that way? Yes. That's crazy. Like, directly said to me, like with the hand on the shoulder and the oh poor baby. Um, so I mean, having that experience was confusing to say the least. So you know, you go through particular situations, um, and I love one. Somebody brought up uh, the word subtlety. I try to explain to people in a place like Abilene you see, receive a lot more subtle racism than you do just outright blatant racism. You know, um, they may not call you the N-word, but they'll question the ac academic integrity of your paper. Um, they may not uh, buy into the stereotype that all black fathers are absent, but they'll be surprised if your father is present. So it's a lot of those microaggressions and, um, uh, implicit biases that are present that are often more frustrating than somebody just coming out and calling you that because you can't prove it with that. You know, if it's something subtle, there is no recourse for you to come and say that you're offended or you look like you're just quote unquote race baby. So if you say something and question my intelligence and the only reason you question my intelligence is because I'm a black male and I'm not supposed to have the highest grade in the class. It's frustrating to say the least. So, you know, as you progress on, I think one of the things that becomes uncomfortable, especially, you know, going into a Christian university such as ACU, um, I had a rude awakening coming 
to ACU. Um, one of my first experiences uh, being there my freshman year was um, some, you know, I, I looked like your your typical rapper, 2003. You know, I had my, Nelly was the guy, you know, I had my saggy clothes on and, you know, that was the culture that was deemed cool from all races, you know, they, they all looked at it from that perspective. So I'm going right along with the current uh, climate. And so uh, a couple of my classmates come to me, like they, they, every time they cross me, I don't know if you ever been somewhere where somebody's talking and then you walk in the room and everybody just is silent. Yeah. And you know, I was like, what's, what's, what is this? Like it was uncomfortable for me. Again, me, I'm growing up in Abilene. I'm used to being around white people because this is a predominantly white space and I play baseball. So, you know, that perspective, I had a lot of experiences that weren't stereotypical to like a football, basketball, where that's predominantly people of color. Like I was in possibly one of the, the whitest sports that you could be in. So I had my own separate education in that, just in being around white people. So then I came back the ACU experience, that's not uncomfortable for me because I'm used to it. So they're sitting back and they're looking at me and they're looking at me like I'm going to eat them. Like I'm all of five, seven, um, you know, 190 pounds. And they're looking at me like I'm a Siberian tiger just about to take, just run off with their leg. I'm like, what is this fear that they see in me? So a couple of days go by. You know, this is the first week I'm in a couple of their classes and that's the same experience. So we get to the last, uh, that Friday and I'm walking past them in the campus center and I just had enough. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to go ask these people why they keep looking at me like that. So I walked up and of course the, the, the tight little silence, you know, the laughter stopped and I walked up. I said, hey, I just wanted to know, why do y'all keep looking at me like that? And they, you know, did the little silent look around the room see who's going to speak first. And then after, you know, a minute or so, they came up and said, look, um, we just don't want you to beat us up. I was like, what? I, I don't even know y'all. Why, why, are you, why are you fearing me beating you up? And so they began to explain, and this was their explanation. They were from South Lake Carroll. If you know anything about South Lake Carroll in Texas, it's more black people on this call than there is in South Lake Carroll. <laughs> so Understanding that context behind that, then he brought an even more revealing understanding of their psyche. He said, before we came to ACU, um, we watched Boys in the Hood. So their entire understanding of Black people was based off of the movie Boys in the Hood. And with that type of direction and narrative, you already see, you are waiting for me to come up and beat you up, rob you, and do whatever. And of course, I, I could have easily been an extra in Boys in the Hood just from my appearance. But to understand that that's the only view that you have of a person becomes damaging. So, um, you know, that being my introduction to ACU moving forward, ACU was also where I first really started learning about Black Wall Street. It's also where I started learning about, you know, um, when you talk about slavery and you talk about Jim Crow, you know, you catch that off a movie. You know, there was a very watered down perspective of what it was. I remember the first time I sat back and we saw a picture 
of a man hanging from a tree along with his children in the tree. And it was in front of a church. People still have Bibles in their hands. And my ability to cope with this was frustrating. I felt like I had been kind of insulated in a bubble, but this was my first real encounter with the level of racism that we've experienced in this country. And, you know, then we come into the perspective of trying to have that conversation during this time. I don't, I don't know if you remember, it was a particular time at ACU where uh, they had started leaving nooses around campus. So there was a real big issue that came in there. Keep in mind, this is a Christian university and you are going to class. Imagine walking to go take your quiz or turn in your paper and you see a noose hanging. And so there's all these different contexts. And so uh, the, the wish of the campus and of the institution was to squash that and say, you know, we don't deal with racism, we have a zero tolerance for racism, which sounds great until you really start looking at the history. And it's a very uncomfortable conversation to have. The relation between Christianity and black people is not good in this country. And we don't feel comfortable having that conversation. We don't feel comfortable um, talking about the impact of the image of a white Jesus and what that's how that was utilized to keep an inferiority complex for black people. We don't feel comfortable talking about how is it many of these things, like you understand the KKK was a Christian organization. Like wrap your head around that. Like what do you say to a young black boy when you were trying to tell him about the goodness of Jesus? And he can easily go access somebody literally possibly lynching his family member in the name of Jesus. And to have this type of context and to have that type of vitriol when it comes to the conversation is something I feel like we have tried to push aside and just focus on the good. Um, and this wound has gotten infected. It was never addressed. We never went back and took an educational standpoint from it. We never came back and say, you know, some of the practices that we're carrying out implicitly are directly connected to some of the, the, the damage that was done throughout our history in this country. So when we start having conversations about race, um, of course, we want to talk about Jesus. Of course, we want to talk about this. You know, Jesus loved everybody. Jesus did this. But we don't want to talk about the concept of you had a slave owner that use the book of Matthew in order to make sure that you operate a certain way. They use Paul as a structure of permission of how to treat a slave. And when we ignore those particular contexts, you see the unrest, you see the damage. Cause what I feel like we're seeing a lot now, especially with millennials and younger people, they don't have that upbringing in church. They don't know anything about those nine to four services. So not having that component being raised up, you are just asking them to be taught when this is right in their face. They are already knowledgeable about how Christianity was utilized to brutalize their people. So it's such a difficult conversation. You know, you fast forward that to today, regardless of your political ideology and policies, when you are upholding 
um, the character, I'm not saying anything about policies, but the open character of Donald Trump, how many evangelical people are promoting him as if he's the next coming of Jesus? So when you come out and tell somebody that this is the standard, and I have to sit back and watch the character and listen to the things that come out of his mouth and look at how divisive and how Dixiecratic he comes out with his with his speech. And you are you are sitting here with a straight face, also trying to tell me to come to your church. So you are sharing, you telling me you share the beliefs of this man, you uphold the character of this man. But you want me to come? That's a dissonance. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I hear you, uh, man. So th- thank you, Chris, uh, for all that. And and I think I think there's there's a common word be- between what with what you were talking about and what Jude was talking about. That word dissonance that you just kind of said again, Jude, that you talked about from your experience, that you talked about, Chris, from your experience at ACU and. And and it sounds like that that must be a common um, a, a common thing that, that that many have wrestled with, and just imagining that the range of of emotions and even faith crisis that that, that has to probably present for for a lot of people, and and everything that you that you probably have to go through when there's that dissonance that you that you see and that you feel and that you experience. And so uh, I do, Tamisha, I want to come to you in just a minute, but, but, but Jude, I, I saw you kind of shaking your head and nodding a lot in, in Chris's yeah. comments. Do you have a response to any of that? Or is that, it, could you relate to any of that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's this, like if you understand the history of systemic oppressions, you know, from 1619 to 1954 with slavery and segregation, like 1954, that means like I'm I'm three people living and dying back to back from from being your slaves, you know. Like it's that history is today, you know, and and the church parallels that history a lot, you know. And so it's this weird dynamic as a as a black Christian to you feel this sense of like almost like this weird sense of uncertainty and unsafety you know and and i think that you know people in power like church leaders especially white church leaders um because they're in power they create the reality for marginalized people and so if your reality is not steeped in history then it's going to be misconstrued and misguided and without that awareness you can cause way more harm with the subtle microaggressions and with the subtle you know, uh, micro micro insults that way more than the overt ones, you know, and and this ideal of white fragility sometimes keeps church leaders, especially white church leaders, from being humble when it comes to their people of color who they're serving. You know, it's that humility that I think is is the is the piece that that is the anchor of that dissonance. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, even just since, um, you know, that there are some things that I've been thinking about even more since, you know, like George Floyd's uh, death and murder. Um, And like one of the things that I really started realizing is that, you know, since we've shifted to online church, 
I use a lot of songs just kind of in some of the transition points and before and after our worship service. And, and I, I started to notice how much of our worship music is performed by white people. Um, and I was like, all the songs that we're using, these are mostly white males singing. And so I've tried to, to find intentional ways to incorporate women voices and to incorporate, um, I've used Lecrae a couple of times now. Um, and so I, I probably need to become more well-versed in, in our, our, our black Christian, um, worship singers, but they're just not readily available. Same with commentaries. If I buy commentaries now for a sermon series, uh, I won't buy more than one from a white male. Uh, I want the other one to be either from a, a person of color or, or a woman. And, and if I just go out looking for something, um, most of what is just readily available is written by a white male. And just if, if white males are the ones um, informing our thoughts, um, informing our worship patterns, informing all of those things, yeah, it's easy to get a distorted view without us realizing that, that we're getting a distorted view. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, so, so Tamisha, uh, I know you may have had a little bit of a different experience uh, than these other two guys just with your background. And, and, and so I'm curious how you hear some of this and if you're, what, what your story is like with, with church in America. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. And so um, uh, Chris and, and Jude, I'm from Bermuda. So <laughs> I come from a Muslim background at first. And so my first encounter with um, American church was um, quite a culture shock first. <laughs> Just on the strength that um, it was so many rules. Like, I know that we're very structured in the Muslim faith, but in Christianity, there was lots of rules. Like, you had to be able to come so much money to the tithes, and 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 you can't sit in the front, the women, and your skirt had to be a certain level. Some of the churches I visited, man, um, you know, there was a whole lot of screaming and yelling at one point for me. Like, I, I was like, what, what is, why, why? You know, I understood praise and worship, but I, I, I couldn't get the yelling part. I, I, I get the praise and worship because I've been in different places in the world where praise and worship is very much to have sovereign with Christ. But I I couldn't get the yelling and how the music had to be louder than the word. And I was like, what is going on? So then um, to come to today, um, and, and, and I even experienced that four o'clock thing like you know I wanted to know how come I couldn't eat that was my biggest thing and then the pastor always talked about fried chicken for a while there and I was like what? you gotta wear a cargo shorts you just slide that sandwich out <laughs> yeah like I, don't get caught I though it at first and then I figured it out right and I was like okay I get it you know but the women love to cook I mean they was healthy <laughs> they believed in feeding us that's one thing I could say and then um I didn't understand the stifling of the Holy Spirit and and with this church and then I, but on the races of tip, let me go right back to that. Um, I saw the division with the pews. Like if there was blacks and whites there, um, the blacks usually sat on one side, the whites on the other side, just if the family member was in an interracial family, you know, it just seemed like that's how the click flowed. You know what I'm saying? I call it the click just to be um, nice, but 
you know, it just seemed how it floated. Like everybody kind of went to one side or the other. There was that invisible line that stayed there and I couldn't understand that neither. It was really hard for me. So then when I went to the vine, um, it was, it was, it has always been for me a beautiful experience, especially because I had my own issues. Um, you guys might not agree with what I'm about to say, but I have to be transparent, okay? Um, I, like many people that are from outside of the United States, I had my own stereotypes. So Chris, I understand what you were talking about, about African-Americans. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I don't want nothing to do with them. I'm scared of them. You know, they ain't gonna do nothing but try to hurt me. You know, I had my own issues. What's so funny is I have four African-American sons, but because I raised them at home, um, and when they came to America and went to school with their fathers, I really wasn't a part of that part. Where, so I had to get them to actually teach me and have an understanding of the struggle that they was even encountering. Um, so when I came to the Vine, which is a predominantly white church, um, it was kind of funny that people were uh, very kind and loving towards me and their conversation was very, um, very, very, uh, what's the word I want to say? Um, their conversation was good, you know? But the thing is, is that um, I was speaking truth because I was getting closer with Christ and I, I hear God says he loves everybody and, he, you know, we're all equal. And I'm going, well, then, you know, how come I feel uncomfortable with African-Americans and I'm, I'm a black woman, you know, why, why is the color of my skin bothering me? And you should see the facial expression of them because I'm a colored woman and I'm saying this, but it's very that easy for it to happen even amongst us as blacks, especially if we've not been exposed to the truth. Okay, the actuality of it all. I love when I hear my pastor try to explain it to me because he sounds like a history teacher and he explains um, black history to me like I've never heard it before ever in my life. And when he explains it, it's very transparent. And you can t I could tell in his tone, <laughs> uh, Dr. Ju, that he's trying to get me to get it because it doesn't sound right coming out of me the other way, you know? He's like, Tamisha, look, this is da-da-da-da-da. And I'm going, I know, <laughs> I get it. I get it now, but I didn't know it then. Like, you know, ignorance is not bliss, but sometimes you just don't know, you know? So um, today, I love the fact that um, my church embraces, and it's a very diverse church, but we don't have enough members. Um, I went so far as to um, ask a couple of people that I've met at the church that came to visit, African-Americans that came to visit, our church why they haven't returned and it was similar things like the music it's it's not what they're used to they're not it's not what they're accustomed to um they think that uh, one lady commented that it was um it seemed uh that everybody was kind of like really comfortable and they're not very comfortable financially and economically and so like how do i be amongst them and it's not something that um, the members of our church does intentionally. I know this for a fact because they're very loving and embracing, you know, um, and they've helped me to be a better black woman in America. <laughs> but um, but um, but it, it, it sounds like it's something that we 
need to be mindful of that that can be the perception even if it's not an intentional decision that we as members of the church make that it's something that we have to be cognizant of how other people who may not know us as well as you do and may have different experiences in other churches um how are they how do they see that and and what might we be able to do to help them bring that out that's that's definitely a conversation we we want to have as a church as well yeah the perception is is oh this is just a white church and and, you know they're just going to see me as somebody that's needy and that um you know that i'm trying to get over i'm trying to do something or i just need something you know one one lady she came by herself and she said that she was asked if it was something that she needed and she was like yeah i came for service (laughs) like you know and i and i told her i said well did did you ask for anything? And she said, no. She said, all I really needed that day was some word and I didn't know any church in the area. So I came here because my apartment was right there across the way. And I, and I asked her to come back again. Um, but I understand how, you know, um, it could be construed in another way because of the fact that they're used to seeing the custom or um, doctrine done differently. You know what I'm saying, Jason? Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, um, the praise and worship, like, you know, I'm going to get mine in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I let the Holy Spirit use me any way he wants. Like, whoop me, I don't care. I got to get mine. But when when it's only maybe two people out of 50 people or 100 people doing that, you know, it looks as if it's something that is being stifled which you guys have never not opened the door for it and not allowed it. Like, you know, you, you definitely let me be me. So I, that's all I was able to share with them. Like they let me be me. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. And as Jason said, just the, the, the unintentional ways that, that messages or positions may be heard and felt is, is important for us to know. And, and I think, you know, one of the first things that kind of, opened me up to some of that was one of the first pieces of literature that was really impactful for me in kind of understanding some of this was um, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail where his it's his frustration with white Christians and white pastors that really comes out in that. And I think he, he talks to something, I think kind of similar to what I think it's in that piece of literature or that writing that speaks to something that, that you were kind of speaking to Jude that like, you know, those things from, from kind of well well intentioned white Christians are are more harmful than the overt racism um, because of yeah. of the ways that that perpetuates some of these cycles and and feelings and 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 misconceptions and stereotypes and all of those things and 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 so yeah hopefully we can be doing some of that that work and in looking inward to try to see where, where, where might we be, um, holding on to some things that we need to examine. Um, and so Jude, I, I know you've got to jump off. And so we may, we may kind of hang around here for, for a few minutes more with, with Chris and Tamisha, if, if y'all are able, but I know, I know you've got to jump off and head to another appointment, Jude, but I, I was curious to kind of give each of you maybe an opportunity, uh, if, because I know there there are there are many places where people are, are having some conversations and, and doing a lot of work around kind of uh, helping people kind of see where are there are some misconceptions, uh, where are there maybe some blind spots that we've had, and 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 where are those conversations happening well? Who's facilitating those conversations well? 
So I'm curious to know, do you, would you have any recommendations for resources that people could go to and, and could look at to kind of maybe become more informed or, or enlightened on, on some of these conversations? Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I would start with some of the work by like Sue and Sue, you know, uh, Daryl Dwayne Sue, um, just his writing on like cultural humility. You know, I feel like is a is a big is a big piece. I had a sister. I had a conversation with my sister last night. Um, her name is she's Doctor the other Doctor Austin. Um, I said she teaches um, African American studies. I'm in communications for Texas State, and and she was talking to me about how a big piece of her education with her students, and a big piece I feel like of of anybody's education when they want to have more conversations about this. It's learning to be humble, you know, it's reading things like about cultural humility, about uh, white fragility, about microaggression, anything that will make you question your reality. The minute you can start saying, maybe I'm wrong about this, I feel like it's the minute you have the space to grow, you know. But as long as you're saying, this is the way it is and I'm right, then the more harm you can cause, you know. So. Yeah, any readings on cultural humility by Sue um, is, is a good start. Cultural humility. I like that. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we're going to pause the conversation, the conversation there for today. Once again, thank you for listening. Thanks for investing time to, to be a part of, of this conversation. And and again, we, we just want to invite you to to sit with some of this, uh, to take a posture of, of listening and, and a posture of humility, as Jude spoke to. And if, if there's any of that that you would like to process with others, I know Jason uh, would, would probably feel the same way that I would, that we would welcome any feedback, uh, any thoughts, comments, questions. Um, and, and so feel free to do that. Feel free to reach out to us. And... Uh, we, we hope that you'll join us next week for, for the second part of this conversation as we continue this, this dialogue and, and topic with, uh, about these, these conversations of, of race and, and how that, um, that impacts us as, as a church, as Christians, and, and some things we might can do about that and be thinking about that. So thanks for joining us today. We hope you'll, you'll join us again next week.